Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Buckeye talk and first an apology to all of you who lost money on Ohio State today because uh, we guaranteed that they would cover we, the 40 and a half. Oh yeah. Well you were you were most emphatic in your guarantee. Yeah, but, you, but, but you didn't disagree. You're just as guilty. If you have to disagree vociferously with me or you go down with me. All right. I'll buy that. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Well, okay. you, you did also say shut out. Tim, let's deal with my mistakes one at a time. We don't want to foist them on the listeners right away. So Nick Bosa guaranteed a shutout. I rode with Nick Bosa wrong. I guaranteed Ohio State would win by 40 and a half. Wrong. Ohio State beats you and it'll be 54-21. But it was easy. So we're going to deal with a lot of different things here um, as we look forward to, frankly, the biggest week of the year. Ohio State Basketball media day next week. (laughs) We are are having basketball media day. Hey, by the way, I was like harsh about the uh, basketball staff when they weren't getting some of these recruits early, especially Ohio guys. And they got three recruits in four days. Um, So, Bill Landis, uh, give us an 11-second breakdown of the current state of recruiting with the basketball team because that's all people care about it for now. Uh, Number 13 in the country at the moment, number 6 in the Big Ten, and on Monday they had zero commitments, and it feels like they're piecing together a class that really fits well together too. I think it was 12 seconds. Okay, Um, let's get to your questions as we talk about the Buckeyes going forward. Now 3-1 and on the season. Goon. At GTE812, the play calling and routes seem more creative and crisp against UNLV. Think that is all about Kevin Wilson getting comfortable, or was it just the opponent? Tim, When you, first of all, do you agree with that idea that the offense looked more crisp? And if it did, why? Well, it's easy for an offense to look more crisp when you're going up against an opponent like UNLV who looked as they did on defense. I mean, Ohio State had almost 700 yards of total offense, and – even the score of 54-21, probably it, was, it wasn't that close, I don't think, as far as, you know, the talent was concerned. As far as play calling, there were some things that, you know, there was a little bit of carryover from the Army game as far as, you know, effectiveness offensively, which was important. The Paris Campbell touchdown was another one of those short bubble screen passes, and he got help with his speed and, and a nice assist from an Austin Mack block to score that touchdown. Mm-hmm. I think it was definitely an emphasis early of the passing game. I think I wrote it. I tweeted something about it. At one point, it was 11 passes to six runs. They really wanted to work on the passing game. Again, things tell, something tells me that when the t- opponent gets tougher, they'll lean more on the run. This was definitely one where they wanted to experiment a little bit with the pass. 31 for 44, 474 total yards passing between Barrett and Haskins, Bill. That's pretty good. I thought, and I guess like in hindsight, it was kind of foolish to think Ohio State would come out and pound the ball against UNLV, even though UNLV's run defense is atrocious. Also, two hundred thirteen rushing yards. Yeah, I mean that's, but that's like that's average, I guess, against against a team like this. Uh, they clearly wanted to come out and and Doug, you asked Urban Meyer after the game, and that was the thing that was most no- noticeable. I thought about the passing offense was 
Last week, it was a lot of bubble screens, a lot of stuff to the perimeter, and that's not very exciting. And I wrote last week, on Monday, like it wasn't exciting, but it was necessary because it's the first step in, in fixing the passing game. I felt like in the past, it was like we can't throw the ball, and our solution is just to come out and try to chuck it downfield. And you can't just come out and chuck it downfield. You have to set teams up for that. Um, and I thought this was the next progression. Yes, it's UNLV, it's UNLV, it's UNLV. I know people are screaming that right now. It doesn't matter. Like, consider it a practice, and you're practicing all things you need to be better at. And they did that against UNLV by throwing the ball more to the middle of the field, um, throwing the ball down the field a little bit. I thought JT Barrett's accuracy overall in this game was probably the best it's been. Um, maybe second half against Indiana was pretty good too, but he, he missed some throws in this game. But <clears throat> even when he missed some throws, he sort of rebounded on the next one. So I thought overall his accuracy was much improved this week too. I thought JT after the game was lighthearted JT, relaxed JT, confident JT. So, yeah, UNLV stinks. They stink at defense. Ugh, awful. He said, I don't know what they were trying to take away. They didn't take away anything. Right? It, uh, Is that too loud? Are you guys looking around like I'm yelling too loud? Maybe. I don't know if these windows are soundproof or not. Soundproof. <laughs> Do you think the whole press box is like, why is someone screaming and like making guttural noises? Maybe, but whatever. So here's the thing. It was the next step. It was the next step of, of what they want to do with having a bubble screen option and a route and then also having something over the middle. And, and JT didn't take all the stuff last week of like the run pass options and the development of the pass game. It was like, well, every, everything he took was the outside stuff. So I thought it was progress for the offense last week because you take what's there and you make them pay. But it wasn't progress for him because anybody could make the throws that he made. So those things are related, but they're not the same. This week was continued progress for the offense, but I thought was a great deal more progress for the quarterback because he was throwing between defenders. He was throwing into the heart of the defense. He, he threw with confidence, and I know it's UNLV, but I would take this film and I would superimpose mm-hmm. Michigan and Penn State and Oklahoma and Clemson and Alabama jerseys over these guys and make JT think he did that against a good team. Because whatever you saw today, I know it's UNLV, but that's what you want this to be. That's what this has to be when they face better teams and better defenses. Yeah, he had a a throw to, I believe it was Terry McLaurin, and it must have been in the first quarter because he was basically out of the game after that. But like Terry McLaurin caught the ball as he was like, being upended by a defender it was it was the most contested ball I think JT's thrown all year. Um, and it was a good sign. I mean, that's the balls. Those are the balls he has to throw. And yes, better defenders, you know, might get their hands on, on one every now and then, might pick one off. We saw that with Dwayne Haskins' pick six uh, later in the game. But you had to be willing to throw it, and he was finally willing to throw it. And there was another one of a pass that he was willing to throw fourth down fade route to Ben Victor. Give him credit. I mean, he, he made a great play on the ball. Great job ball. to get the foot down. That's what they talked about to begin in the preseason. JT trying to give his receivers a chance on those 50-50 balls. It's easier to do when you have guys who have the height of Victor and Austin Mack to do that than guys like Paris Campbell. But the fact that he had that confidence to throw it and he put it in a great spot for Victor, that's something that has to carry over. He, he showed it to himself, I think, most importantly, that he can do that. All right, let's move on. Um, some more good questions here. We got two questions about C.J. Saunders, and I saw this tweeted by Ohio State after the game. C.J. Saunders and Paris Campbell both had 100 receiving yards. I think it's the first 100 receiving yard duo since Holmes and Ginn in 2005, which is mind-blowing. That's pretty crazy. Um, So 
At the Urban Renewal asks, did CJ Saunders earn actual playing time? And at MLong2444, Mike Long asks, should, should CJ Saunders be starting? Um, I'll take that first and say no. Who? It's I'll take. a walk on against a terrible team, and it's a lovely story, but let's keep our heads screwed on straight here. This is what happens uh, against bad teams. There are lovely stories, and congratulations to C.J. Saunders, who, by the way, did a great job catching that great throw from Dwayne Haskins over his shoulder, uh-huh. making a 50-yard catch, balls that we have seen scholarship starting receivers drop at times here, and he also caught that ball down the seam that Dwayne Haskins threw 1,000 miles an hour for a touchdown. Wait, should he start? I'm talking myself into this. Here's the thing. Like, you know what? <laughs> you know, go ahead, I'm go sorry. Ahead. You know what you're bringing up? Remember another a school that just won the national championship, one of its other receivers, yeah. a guy named Hunter Renfro walk on. I'm not saying CJ Saunders is Hunter Renfro, not at all, but I mean Except you are. He might be. <laughs> I'm just saying that there's a comparable there. I'm not saying that's gonna happen because I don't think comparable. it's going to. Comparable. Uh listen. It wouldn't be it it, it, it okay. happens all over the place. I'm not saying you no, guys no, can okay. have this conversation then. No, well you brought it up. No, the, the the guys with the questions on Twitter brought it up. It's he no. Should he be starting? No. I, I if he know. were to start, it would not be the like. Clemson is just as talented as Ohio State that starts a former walk on a receiver. Other teams do it. Baker Mayfield's a former walk on. Former walk on start all over the place. It's not absurd to think it could happen. But Urban Meyer was pretty adamant that it's not going to happen. Yeah, I agree. He talked about how CJ's body isn't really built for that. He weighs 176 yet. pounds. Yeah, he referred. I believe he referred to him as a hood ornament, as far as body frame is concerned. No, he, he meant that. He meant that in the sense that you can't like you can't be a hood ornament in the sense that like the only thing you do. And he says it. He said it a million times since he's been here. The catching and running with the ball can't be the only thing you do. You have to be able to block. And he doesn't think a 176 pound guy who's five foot eleven can block. Mm. Okay, that makes more sense. Um, it's a, it's a great question, but I don't think that's where they are with the receivers. It is uh, it is a good story for a guy to be able to tell people that like I caught a hundred had a hundred yards receiving yeah, as, as an Ohio State receiver. I'm not downplaying what C.J. Saunders did at all, and I'm not downplaying C.J. Saunders. People like to see a guy do a thing one week against a, a, a bad opponent and think, "Wow, that guy should be this." And the answer is like, no. I mean, it's just a realistic answer. Tough Borland last week had a great game against Army when they ran the triple option. Tough Borland did start against UNLV. Chris Worley was out, did not dress with the foot injury. Uh, Tough Borland last week led them with ten and a half tackles. Tough Borland today had three, um, and they took him out on passing downs, on third down. They went with, in their nickel package, they went with two linebackers. They went with Jerome Baker and Malik Harrison because Tough Borland can't cover in that situation as well as most of their other linebackers. Chris Worley can. Chris Worley stayed in the game. Mm -hmm. When he's the middle linebacker, the two linebackers in the nickel are Baker and Worley. When he's hurt, Borland's the middle linebacker, but the two linebackers in the nickel are Baker and Malik Harrison, and Malik Harrison shares the other outside linebacker spot with Booker. So I'm just telling you, we're just saying the same thing. Let's not let's not go crazy over one good performance and try to pretend that you know CJ Saunders is Santonio San Holmes and the tough Borland is AJ Hawk. What about when CJ Saunders has 100 receiving yards again next week against Rutgers? Then I will <laughs> eat my words and buy a CJ Saunders jersey on AliExpress.com. Nice. You know what I just thought of? You're talking about that. I just thought of the jump to conclusions, Matt, from Office Space. 
We don't necessarily need. Never seen. Never seen the film. Never You've seen never seen Office, Office Space? Space? I have not. They beat up a copier yeah, with baseball bats. Yeah, I know. That yeah, is one yeah. of the greatest scenes in movie history. You've never You've heard You've never of a... seen Office Space? I mean, I've seen bits and pieces. Like, I know the guy with the stapler and the, the guy from the Brady Bunch movies and stuff. Yeah, I, I, like, I've, seen, I've seen enough of it to get the gist. Wow. Okay. Um, let's do a quick one here. At Crease 23, it's Chris McCormick. Why did Haskins replace Burrow to take the kneel down at the end? Uh, because Joe Burrow's coming off a broken throwing hand, and Urban Meyer did not want Joe Burrow to get under center and receive that immediate snap, which makes perfect sense. So that's just a, that's an actual answer. That's like an answer we were told, and that yeah. makes sense. There's not a lot to analyze there. Uh, people are asking, though, peak, at peak underscore MJ peak, does Haskins coming out and playing as the backup ahead of Burrow and playing most of the second half does that make him officially number two, or do they want to work in Burrow? Urban Meyer said after the game that Joe Burrow is still 90%. He's not all the way back. But but do we get more of a read on this? Is this still just injury stuff? Is it because Burrow already had some of these opportunities last year while Haskins was redshirting? Or do you guys watch this today and think to yourself, Dwayne Haskins is number two? Even if they don't like announce it, would you think to yourself if – Something would happen to JT Barrett. There's no doubt that Dwayne Haskins would be the guy, or is it still up in the air? I think if JT were to go down, Haskins is the guy. And the reason I say that, when he came into the game late in the first half, they still had most of the first team out with him. They took one guy out at a time, but really they had a lot of the first team out with Haskins. It seemed like they didn't diminish the playbook. They let Haskins kind of have free reign. They let him do a lot of different things, a lot of the same things that JT Barrett was doing. And I wrote about this on Cleveland.com that as much as I think we learn more about Haskins, I think it's just the fact that we now have a sample size. We have a large sample size. We have what, uh, 23 pass attempts and uh, a couple runs, including two sacks, but he had like a 16 yard run, which I wrote about. He's not, can't run like JT, but if he needs to, he can get an occasional couple yards if need be. But I think he doesn't look that comfortable in the, in the called run stuff, I didn't think. But neither did Cardale when they did it. Yeah. But he looked more fluid than Cardale, I thought, in the read game. Yeah. Than Cardale. Cardale was very unfluid in that. Cardale's yeah. like an NFL dropback passer. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So, um, so you think there's, Tim says he's the guy. You think he's the guy, Bill? I think he's the guy. So Burrow threw four passes today, right? Mm-hmm. So for his career, he's thrown 32 passes. Haskins threw 23 today. Yes. Yeah. So he's out 27 passes. So yep. that's even. Like if if any part of it was Urban Meyer wants to get an extended look at Dwayne Haskins because he's already had a somewhat extended look at Joe Burrow in game situations, that is now even. And we saw Joe Burrow throw it. Clearly, he's physically capable of throwing the ball. Um, so the fact that he got in and with two minutes left in the game and threw four passes while Dwayne Haskins threw 23 and essentially played two full quarters, um, that was telling to me that that Haskins, whether he pulled away before Burrow got hurt or not, like that injury played a role, and now Haskins has, I think, securely taken the number two job. Okay, but let me ask you this. Say that Ohio State's way up on Rutgers after at halftime next week. Um, they're not going to take out J.K. JT Barrett in the first half against Rutgers, no matter what the score is. It's a Big Ten game. But say they're way big up, up big at halftime or up big in the middle of the third quarter. Is Haskins the guy who definitely comes in, or would Burrow get in because now Dwayne has had more action recently and it's Joe's turn? No, I, th- I think Haskins would be the first guy in, but maybe the reps at, in the end of the game would be a little more even. I thought today it was going to be Haskins played the third quarter and Burrow played the fourth quarter. Um, and that clearly wasn't the case. I guess if that happened against Rutgers, I, that wouldn't surprise me. But 
If Haskins, I think Haskins would be the first guy in. Okay. Uh, Jason M. Antris asks, should we be disappointed in the defense? Even with reserves in, 21 points by a terrible UNLV team. That's troublesome. Agree or disagree? Disagree. The Two of the touchdowns were scored against like the second and third team defense. I don't know. I just think it's good for those guys to play and, and learn from stuff like that. So I'm... I'm, I'm not really super concerned with anything that happened on the defensive side of the ball in the second half of the game. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, one of the touchdowns he was talking about with the second teamers, that was Lexington Thomas, who's UNLV's top running back. So they had He's some good. of the first team guys. And yeah, he had some good runs in the game. There were, I mean, it's the second teamers going against first teamers who see tougher competition all the time. Maybe the second teamers don't have as much chemistry. They don't work together that much in game situations. It works well when backups are rotating in with starters, but if it's all backups in, it's not necessarily the same effect. So, as far as concern, I'm not that concerned whatsoever. And there were some guys. I don't. I don't know exactly who was on the field when Lexington Thomas ran for a 55 yard touchdown. It's very possible there was a sprinkling of starters in there, but even still, I don't. I don't find that very concerning. At J Muni 19, J M U N E E 19. What about the penalties and the turnovers? So the penalties, and this is related to. Uh, the defense question. Ohio State penalties had eight penalties for 85 yards. They had at least three pass interference calls and uh, a holding call on a corner. Three of those four uh, corner penalties were on Kendall Sheffield. I think that is an issue. Yeah. So, so uh, again, I agree you don't get caught up in uh, Even when you're playing a terrible team, when they're playing their ones against your twos and threes, you kind of throw that out the window. Um what is the deal? We, we did a video about this after the game, but we want to expand on that. Marshawn Lattimore and Gary on Conley, last year at corner, were able to play physical, able to be up on guys and not draw penalties because they weren't interfering with it. They were just on them, but not on them before the, the ball got there. Kendall Sheffield was all over guys today, but he was definitely there early. Is he trying too hard? Uh, is it just a technique thing? And, and I, there's another question in here about looking for the ball, which is the, the question that every Ohio State fan always asks uh, about these corners. Clearly, there's a way they're taught to play here. So, I mean, it, it, maybe you disagree with it, but that's not changing. Um, what's your level of concern on a scale of 1 to 10? 1 is fine. Everything's fine. He's a really good player. He'll be fine when it matters. 10 is I would play Jeffrey Okuda. Where are you guys on that with Kendall Sheffield? Because he was the guy who got penalized a lot. Where are you with him? Like uh, 6.3. Is that a good answer? Decimals decimals bother me. Okay, I'm fine. glad you didn't say like 6 and 1 fourth or something. But if you could just pick a whole number. Can you just pick a whole okay, number? Fine. 6. I'll round out. 6. <laughs> um yeah, it's it's concerning because of what's coming down the road. I mean, there's there's some really good like I said in the video, there's some good receivers coming, um, and and quarterbacks who will certainly challenge you more than Armani Rogers uh, challenged Ohio State's quarterback <coughs> here on Saturday. Um, I don't know what it is, I, I, and maybe I want to say part of it might be inexperience, but it's kind of a cop out because Marshawn Lattimore like had hadn't really played at all last year, and he didn't have these problems when he went out there. Granted, he was the number eleven pick in the draft and a really special talent. But we've been told, like all spring and all camp, that these guys were not going to have a drop-off. And we thought that was crazy, and then they told us we were crazy for thinking that, so we're going to hold you to that standard then and 
they're not as good, nowhere near as good. Outside of Denzel Ward, Kendall Sheffield, and Damon Arnett, who played a little bit better today against UNLV, um, have not been anywhere near what they had last year at cornerback. And in a different game against a better team, and you have you gave them three first downs or four first downs on pass interference, and you gave them another first down because Kendall Sheffield got beat on the slant on like third and five. You can't do that against good teams. They, their whole first touchdown drive was based yeah. on the, the penalties on the corners. That That is what ruined the shutout at the start. The, the touchdown given up by the first-team defense came about because of penalties on that drive. So where, what's your number, Tim? Uh, I'm going to say five, and I'll defer again to the cornerback expert, Chimdi Chekwa. I mentioned the tweet in the video. I actually have it in front of me. He says, need to clean up the technique at corner position. No question they got the talent. Maybe, I mean, as much as you want to say the inexperienced thing is a cop-out and that Lattimore and Hooker did it, those are the exceptions to the norm. Yeah, they're also four games into the season. That too, and also you have to consider that one of them, they didn't went up against a team that didn't Maybe. throw. So technically three. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm probably like a 6.49873. Oh, we can do it. Okay. I'm like, I'm like pie. Just, the, the, rules just, <laughs> the rules just changed in between when Bill started talking and then when Doug started. So, so is the ma- I just like when Matt Landis gets mad at me. I think I'm a 7. I think I'm a 7. And here's the thing. We talked about this in a video last week. Uh, I don't think true freshmen are your answers. I think if, you're, if true freshmen were your true answers – they're your answers because, oh, my gosh, we can't keep these guys off the field. If you're a place like this and you have so many problems that a true freshman has to come in and unexpectedly solve it, I think you're in trouble. So Jeffrey Okuda is not playing right now because they think Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield are better. So I don't think, hey, start Okuda next week, okay? I, I maybe would try Okuda like in a series against – with the rest of the first-team defense to sort of see what's mm-hmm. up, just to make sure that he doesn't all of a sudden look awesome. Because it feels like to me, I mean, if you were to ask me, and I think it's fair, we're judging at the moment everything off the Penn State game because that's the big thing. That's the next big test. I think right this moment that Kendall Sheffield and Damon Arnett are going to get fricasseed by Trace McSorley in that deep passing game. Mm-hmm. I think Penn State is going to chuck the ball down the field and they're going to have guys out leaping them for balls. They're going to be getting called for penalties on plays that are important. Um, Penn State's going to convert on third down. Um, and I think that that's like how Ohio, I'm not, I'm not saying Ohio State is going to lose that game, but if they're going to lose that game, that's how they're going to lose it. So if you think that, and I don't, obviously I'm not the only person who thinks that. There are fans that think that, and I'm sure there are people in that football building who think that. If you think that, I would experiment a little bit to make sure that Jeffrey Okuda is not the second coming of Marshawn Lattimore. You know, that that maybe, okay, he, he doesn't look like he's been as good as those guys, but man, we put him out there and all of a sudden, you know, in the spotlight against the ones, his physical gifts, his natural talent, his technique all of a sudden improved. He's the guy. I think I'd try it because Again, we're a third of the way into the regular season, and to me, there's not an answer there right now. And I'm not going to just hold my breath and think, ah, it'll one more, two more, three more games, it'll be fine. I think we're past the point of assuming it's going to be fine. Yeah, and, and 
I agree with your point that true freshmen should never be the solution, but that's also all they have. It's not like there's a second or third year guy waiting in the wings who can. Right. Who can like everyone. In He's the, depth, the fourth corner. Everyone in the depth is is a freshman, and it's him and it's Amir Reap and it's Sean Wade when healthy. He didn't dress today. Uh, Marcus Williamson, I think, is still hurt too. But yeah, those those if you're going to make a change or try something, those are the guys you're trying out with. All right, um, we are headed to Rutgers next week. Uh, it will be a primetime game. Uh, Ohio State will go there at three and one. They will go there as as no worse than the number ten team in the country. That's what they were coming into this game. They're clearly not going to drop. Um, someone there was. A, I think this is sort of like the general overreaching question, and we're we're trying to. And we are. We're writing things. You can't just only write, that game sucked. I guess they're better. Who knows? Like, you have to try because, I mean, there are games like this all over the schedule most of the time. Frankly, this year, you know, it's really the only one because they they play nine Big Ten games now. And then their other two non-conference games were an unbelievable game with Oklahoma and a very weird game with Army. So this is the only one where it's just sort of a general opponent that stinks. They used to play three of those a year. So you have to get something out of it other than sweating your, your neck off mm-hmm. in this place where it was 90 degrees today. And I did write – I talked to some fans about that. Fans compared this game to the Caribbean, the equator, and hell when I asked them how hot they were. Those were the three comparisons. If you, had the, if you, if you had a choice to go – either pick from one of those three places, where would you go? I'd go to hell. <laughs> Here's the overarching question of – the day, as expressed by a person who is down in my timeline lower than I thought it was, Bo Brammer. What can you take from a game like this? So in honor of the person who asked an Ohio State player after the game, how did they phrase it, Bill? Was it Malik Harrison? It was the question to Malik Harrison, and, and I, I don't remember verbatim, but the question was essentially, what are the takeaways that you take away from this game? <laughs> I think we we could make that a sponsored regular part of Buckeye Talk. The takeaways that we take away. Tim, what is the main takeaway that you take away from this game today? Ohio State's victory over the UNLV. Not running, not running, just straight up Rebels. Uh, biggest takeaway I I took away, and yes, I did say it like that. <laughs> um, I think it was kind of funny. We had talked to Urban Meyer earlier I think it was, I don't remember if it was this week or the week before where he asked about the balance of winning games versus experimenting, and mm-hmm. he was said he was more focused on winning games. This game, they knew they were going to win. It was just about getting things going in the passing game, and what it looked like was, at least we, from what it looked like, is JT Barrett showed that he can be confident. Granted, it was an inferior opponent, like we've been saying, for the past 25 minutes and change, but... He had some confidence in his throws, which he didn't necessarily have in the first two games of the season. Maybe he he needs to do that against better competition. He'll ramp up a little bit with Rutgers and Maryland and Nebraska back-to-back-to-back. Kind of a nice little incline before you get to that Penn State game at the end of October. So it's that gradual progression that we want to see. And he took a step forward. They need to keep taking steps forward. And just allow him to build himself up because we know he's got that. We know he's got the ability. We've seen it before. It's just that gradual growth that we need to see. And we we saw we saw him take another step in that direction. Bill, mine is uh, also JT Barrett centered, and it's all about uh, the ball placement on his throws today. Um, the jump ball to Ben Victor was in the right spot. I think the was the one in the back of the end zone, McLaurin. 
where he like got a foot down. Yes. Yeah. That ball was well thrown in a good spot. Um, ball's thrown in the tight windows because ball placement is something that's important. Like regardless, there could be no defenders out there where you throw the ball still matters in terms of allowing guy to high point it or, or run with it after the catch. And with the exception of was he 12 or 17, mm-hmm. um, with the exception of like, of like one or two throws, I thought the ball was always thrown in the right spot today. Uh, again, just uh, some offensive balance. If you guys don't have the numbers in front of you, there with 31 of 44 for 474 yards passing, and then they ran it 40 times. So it's 44 pass, 40 run. And I had misspoken earlier. I said they had 213. They also had some losses in there. So they came up with 190 total yards rushing. Dobbins 14 carries, 95 yards. Again, they are so his his carries for four games have gone 29, 13, 13, 14. 29 is too many yeah. for a true freshman. In the nitty-gritty time when they need to win, uh, 13 or 14 is not enough. He, also, and he, I think, he didn't play in the second half. And I don't think um, I don't think it'll be a problem. I think he'll get 20 yeah. against Penn State. And so we'll see that. It's just been weird how it's gone. And they did. They got guys in. They got Antonio Williams in. Antonio Williams had 11 carries for 58 yards. Still no Mike Weber. There was a question about that. It's like we keep asking and they keep sort of eh, – they're not like – I don't think they know. I mean, clearly he's still hurt. I mean, or clearly he's not 100% that they don't want to risk it or something. I mean, it's not – Mike Webber didn't get off the sideline today, and it's not performance-based. I mean, his hamstring is still an issue. And, again, if you've been around – I mean, you, I knew this. I mean, we you don't have a, camp, a hamstring all of camp and then get healthy the last four days of camp and then have it be like, oh, he's fine. Yeah. He's good for the whole year. He hasn't been. We're a month in, and he has not been. He didn't play against Indiana. He didn't play against UNLV. He has seven carries in the other two games. So it's going to be interesting, and not when he gets back and is a big part of this offense. It's if. It's if. But if it does happen, I do think this offense could go to the next level, not from necessarily playing them together a ton, but from having Dobbins be fresh and ride him when you need to, have Weber be fresh, ride him when you need to. And I think my main takeaway is basically what Tim said, the progression. To me, Army, the bubble screens, the outside perimeter stuff. UNLV, middle of the field, JT thrown in windows. So what's the last step? Down the field. Hitting the field. Hitting something over the top. And I would expect that they will come out next week and hit that hard. Because Rutgers is not that good. And if I were coaching JT Barrett, I would ride that this week. Again, I thought JT Barrett looked happy and confident, sounded happy and confident. He's never grumpy or a jerk with us at all. And he takes a lot of crap from us sometimes. But it's not that fun. You can tell. I mean, the main thrust of a whole five-minute interview is what's your deal? Why aren't you better? It's not that fun. He was enjoying talking about being good, as he should. I would ride that. I would play off of that. And I would use this week to push him to the next level. And so I think it's outside, inside, over the top. Two steps are down. Step three is next week against Rutgers. You make a point about GT's attitude. I'll make, I'm going to make a comparison here, another analogy. What movie are you comparing yeah. it to? No, this is not movie-wise. <laughs> this, is, this is actual sports-related. <laughs> okay. That attitude is the attitude you see out of baseball and hockey players because when you when they're easy easy going when they're relaxed they they're better when they're more relaxed usually than when they're pressing. 
Because when you're pressing, bad things happen. And hockey and baseball players will tell you all the time, they want to be relaxed. They want to be <coughs> loose. And maybe that's something with JT Barrett. Maybe you got have to treat JT Barrett that way. Is When he is pressed, that's when he really struggles. When he's relaxed, like you were talking about after the game, maybe that's the JT Barrett they need. They need Zen JT. <laughs> you know where I've also found that? Water polo. Water polo players yeah. are like that. Yep, I can see that. Um, I think that's true. I mean, again, it's it's interesting for a guy who's such a veteran, such a leader, such a great teammate. I, I do think there are – I mean, he's still a young man who's been through some interesting times here in his career. I would puff him up, make him feel good, and show him how he's going to dice up Rutgers down the field and see if you can make it happen. And if, if that's the last step, you're going to – everybody, including the players and coaches in, in that – building are going to be thinking differently about this offense than they were after the Oklahoma game. It kind of sets up nicely. If it's like, like you said, work the perimeter against army, work the second level against UNLV, work it deep against Rutgers, play Maryland here and kind of try to have it all come together. And then you go on the road and play Nebraska. And then you're ready. And then you're ready ready for when you need to be ready. Okay. So we have our regular Buckeye Talk coming on Wednesday. It will be our 100th episode. Technically, we're past 100 episodes because we do not count these post-game Buckeye Talks in our episode count. They're more like – it's sort of like – you know when like Saturday Night Live does like the specials in the summer and yeah. like trying to fill programming? Yeah. That's what this is. It's not – it's a Buckeye talk that you guys enjoy that we enjoy doing, but it's a new part of our coverage. Um, it's not part of the regular rotation as much. So we don't label it. So it's episode 100 on Wednesday. We have already recorded our interview with our very special, very high profile, very high profile. Only the best for Buckeye talk. Guest. It was a tremendous 40-minute interview. We laughed cried. We talked about trademarks. We were praised, which is why we wanted to have him on so he could talk about how great we are. Um, so that is coming your way on Wednesday. Again, this is our post-game Buckeye talk. Did you say who it was or is it a tease? I think I'm still teasing it. I mean, people, we tweeted about it. Oh, we did. Yeah. But not everyone who listens. I wonder how many people who follow us. Are there people who read us, follow us on Twitter and listen to this? They can take that much Bielik, Landis, and Le Maurice in their life? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, there are some. But not a lot. <laughs> it's a very unique and strange crowd. Yeah, yeah, the people that follow us really extensively probably already know. But for the general crowd that doesn't follow us, which I assume is the majority. It's they LeBron James. <laughs> Just kidding. Are you, you going to say it? Was Tim going to say it? No, I was not going to say okay. it. So it's a secret if you don't follow us on Twitter. If you want to, you have to go follow us on Twitter if you don't to find out the secret. Otherwise, listen on Wednesday. Uh, we'll have coverage all week again. Biggest week of the year. Everybody knows that ever since Rutgers came into the Big Ten. That's what I've said. That's what everybody said. Rutgers has changed the face of Remember, college football. Uh, last year when you wrote a column that said Rutgers will never beat Ohio State. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to rewrite that and just say, still think this. I mean, literally. I mean, because all that matters is that they don't do it while I'm alive and then I'm good to go. Um, so that will be in Piscataway uh, or New Brunswick. The campus is in one spot and the stadium's in another. It's very confusing. Uh, next Saturday night, 7.30. Um, but for now, uh, for Tim Bielik and Bill, and Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice. Again, Ohio State, a 54-21 winner over UNLV, moving to 3-1 on the 2017 college football season. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>